On today's episode, I'm going to have a conversation with Ian Bishop, who is a used car guru. Ian's family owns an auto group, which is the largest seller of automobiles in Hawaii. And they also have a dealership in Washington. So Ian's going to talk to me about my specific situation, which is trying to sell my old classic Toyota Land Cruiser. And I'm in the market to buy a new SUV, a three row thing to shuttle kids around. So he's going to give me advice on how to do that, which I think is going to apply to a lot of us and uh, know how to do that transaction an old used car to a new used car in the best way possible. So that's coming up. Hi, I'm Steve. For nearly 30 years, I've been a pastor and disciple maker. And what I really love doing is helping guys be better followers of Christ and better leaders at home. I'm Mark, a certified financial planner with an MBA and an Ivy League degree who wants to make sure you're making the smartest money decisions possible. And this is Abraham's Wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home, your dough, like a biblical boss. Hello, Ian in Maui. I, I, I see your background there. Are you trying to, do you regularly show off and try to brag that you're in Maui? Is that the idea? <laughs> no, I uh, I think I mentioned to you, my office is under renovation. So it's like, all right, I need something with good lighting and a backdrop. Like, well, and this quiet away from the kids. Looks like, pretty good. Probably the only option. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about your family real quick. How many youngsters? Uh, so I've got four boys. So I've got uh, two, three, 10, and 11. Oh, man. That's wonderful. Now, do they drive cars in Hawaii? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our fastest speed limit is uh, 55, and there's only one road on the whole island that's 55. Other than that, it's about 35 on average everywhere. How do cars get so, to Hawaii? On a big boat, I presume? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple companies that uh, barge them over on huge ships. We're the, actually the largest importer of cars to the island, so we bring over anywhere between like 50 to 100 a month. Let's say you're going to go for a long road trip. How long could you possibly drive? Uh, so Maui is actually kind of like a figure eight in the way the roads are, because there's kind of like two mountains. You have the West okay. Maui's and you have Haleakala. So it's a figure eight. So you could you could go around those loops and it'll take you three, four hours. Kind of Now, some of those get down to like one lane roads, you know, so depending on traffic and tourists and trying to get around people. That's wild. Okay, Ian, you're going to be our our insider expert, and I want you to feel free to tell us all of the insider secrets that the used car market doesn't want us to know, but we've got to know the <laughs> insider secrets. So my, my first question is very general. Is this a good time to buy a used car? Yeah, you know, it's never a good time to buy a used car. So... <laughs> You know, for the past couple of years with COVID, I've been telling people like, if you can wait, wait, right? Just because things have been so crazy. But man, in general, you're buying something that goes down in value that has an interest rate, like nothing about it makes sense. I'm sure you guys speak to this a lot more than than I do. But um, in general, I'm like, it's never a good time. So it's like, how right. can we do this uh, in the least painful way possible? Right. It is a losing proposition. Either way, yeah. you're buying a depreciating asset. It will not be worth in five years what it is today. So you just want to get out as clean as you possibly can. Could you describe for 
us, what do you see happening in the car market in general? I know that your family has locations in Washington as well. So you kind of have a mainland feel for things as well as in Hawaii. What do you see? If you were a college student right now taking economics classes, it's like this is the perfect example of supply and demand. What we're seeing over the last couple of years with COVID, as well as with new car allocation, limiting the used car supply, rental car companies that liquidated all their inventory at the beginning of COVID that went from being suppliers to becoming buyers as they try to refill their pipelines right. has just created a, a swirl in terms of supply and demand. So a lot of the rules that used to apply no longer apply. It's a little bit of the Wild West as you're going into it, trying to go, do I buy something new? Do I buy something used? Yeah. Some of those rules of going, okay, used car makes more sense. It's already depreciated. It's like right now for the last two years, a lot of the a lot of the models, the used cars are more than the new ones because right. dealers aren't getting as many new cars as they'd like. And, uh, you know, again, they're just playing a volume game going, well, if I'm only going to get three, I have to make my money somehow. And so I got to make money on these three. Whereas before, if they were getting 50 of them, they're like, yeah, sure, we can, we can I spin see. these out. No problem. So I see. it's, you know, it's different car to car, model to model, manufacturer to manufacturer. I would say the other big wrench that gets thrown into there is rates and subvented rates. You know, historically we've seen a lot of support from the manufacturers in terms of subvented rates, right? Because yeah. they're essentially they're artificially pulling the rates down to get you to purchase their product, right? Right. No different than Apple offering you 0% to buy their new iPhone. You can't go to a bank and say, hey, I want to get a thousand dollar loan so I can get a new iPhone. If you could get a loan for that, they're not giving you a great rate for it. But we're not seeing that as much with the manufacturers. And so, you know, there's this tension point of they're also trying to capitalize and make money. And they see the opportunity where they can start to creep up on some of those interest rates. However, they're also trying to support the dealers. And the dealers are saying, hey, we need we need something here. You're not giving us any kind of competitive advantage. And um, so what you're starting to see is a lot of like, I would say, appeasement. So you're seeing like a... 3.9% for 36 months. And your average buyer can't afford the payment at 36 months, but they get to put out that they're offering 3.9%. Right. So it's a little a little bit of that where it's not actually helping the consumer. But yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time. It's a wild west. So everybody is scrounging for inventory. Does that mean that it's a good time to be selling a car? Yeah. I mean, if you're the kind of family where you've got three cars, it's like, yeah, in the last year or two, I would have recommended like go down to one if you can, go down to two, get rid of it because you'll never get more money than you can right now. Um, and you know, and that's true always, obviously, with a depreciating asset. But we've seen that curve start to come back up where people are getting as much as what they paid for it four years ago. And that's so, crazy. yeah, definitely not a bad time to be getting rid of one. We're going to talk about my situation particularly in a moment, but everybody, every few years, you've got to go through the wash cycle of dealing with your car that you want to get rid of and looking for a new car and you're trying to find the best deal. Is there a, a thumbnail that you have that's a recommendation? This is a good way to go. I don't know that I would use this method. I mean, I've done the, I have bought cars on eBay sight unseen before flown out to St. Louis, showed up and go, I hope this is a nice car because I just plunked over a bunch of money. And I've done that with individuals I'm looking at now um, big companies like Carvana or CarMax. What, do you have any recommendations about what, what are good things to use and what are dumb? 
Yeah, man, I could talk for hours about this. I mean, it's going to come down to every person, right? Some people sure. are looking at the tax advantages and going, I'm going to lease this because I can write off the lease payment. Some people are just trying to find the most affordable thing, right? Their family's getting bigger and they just need more space, right? What I always recommend is trying to be as proactive as possible and also just meet the basic needs. Even if you're going to purchase something based on the wants, at least acknowledge it. So the example I always give like friends when they come to me is we play this little game and I say, why not get a bicycle? And they go, oh, well, I can't get a bicycle because you know it'll take too long. Go, well, what if we got an electric bicycle? And we just keep stair-stepping up in this ridiculous manner. I'm going, what if we got an electric bicycle with a carriage on the back so you could take the kids to school? And they're like, well, you know, I just I don't think my wife will go for that. It's not safe enough. Ah, okay. So now safety is something that is like a need type value for you. Yeah. Okay. So what do you consider safe? It's got to have doors. It's got to have airbags. Like what does that right. look like? And so again, you can go down to, okay, we can get the smallest little, you know, Fiat 500, Nissan sure. Versa. Stuff sure. three car seats in the back and they go, well, it'd be nice to have a little more space. It's like, I, it'd be nice oh, to, but I let's see. acknowledge what that difference is, right? Is it another hundred dollars a month? Nice. Or is it another $300 a month? Nice. Right. Yeah. So I think it's worth at least going through that exercise to go, is this worth what I'm trying to accomplish in terms of transportation? Get me point A to point B. Yeah, that's um, good. And the other piece that I always have people look at is, you know, a lot of times, you know, friends and family, they're looking to get in a new car. We always pause and we go, okay, but what's the other car? You know, what's your wife driving? How long is it going to be until you have to replace that? Because yep. sometimes when we look at these scenarios in a silo, and we can go, we can justify it and say, this one makes sense, this payment, this interest rate, whatever. But we're not acknowledging the fact that, oh gosh, in two years, my wife's going to need to get a new car. And what's that payment going to be on top of this one? Right. And so not backing sure. ourselves into a corner where we get stuck with something like that. And so a lot of times we actually run through scenarios of what would it look like for you to get yourself a new one right now and your wife a new one right now? Not necessarily that we're trying to get you to pull the trigger on both, yeah. but I want you to say yes to payment number one based on the fact that it works with payment number two when that That's comes smart. up because we, we know it's inevitable. In terms of where you go, this is something that gets so in the weeds of misunderstanding, I think. You know, especially now where I would say due to a lot of stuff within the last couple of years, dealers were forced to go to some of what of a online purchasing method. And so you see some of the Carvanas emerging. I think that that model, and this is just my opinion, I think that model will work for new cars. I do not think it'll work for used cars. And I think if you look at, at just a basic level, if you look at the reviews that these companies get specifically around used cars, it's very split. Five star, one star, because you have somebody that goes, oh, this was the easiest process. I didn't have to talk to a car salesman. It was great. And then you have other people that go, yeah, they dropped the car off at my house 24 hours later, but it smelled like smoke. Nobody called me back. I didn't know it had this dent. You know, one of the taillights was out, you know, yes. stuff like this, where things are falling through the crack and there's a little bit of lack of accountability because yeah. used cars are unique. You know, no two are the same. Right. And so to try to come up with a model where you can sell it, you know, based on a description, is super, super challenging, especially to the average consumer. I buy majority of our cars. So I buy thousands of cars a year, sight unseen, because we're buying them on the mainland and shipping them to Hawaii. I would consider even being an expert, I still make mistakes from time to time. Something comes in and it's like, oh, that wasn't on the condition report. I didn't realize it had that. So for the average consumer, I just 
I don't see where that recipe is going to work. It's going to have to be heavily modified, I think, in terms of 360s and FaceTimes. And I mean, the biggest thing is like, if you can't get in it and smell it, it's like, right, <laughs> right off the bat, you're like, yeah, tough, you know, but every new car smells the same. So, so if you've got a friend or a family member that's asking, you're like, go to where you have to go to see it live. Cause, cause there's so yeah. many variables. You just need, you just need to get in it. You need to drive it. You need to smell it and touch it. And it could look great, but the seats could be sticky, you know, et cetera. Right. Right. And then on top of that, you know, what people don't understand is within the car dealership world, there's really, there's primarily three different models buy here, pay here, which is essentially a, a financing model than it is actually a reselling model right. where a guy is buying a wholesale car. He's selling it to somebody. It's where you see those signs, like no credit check required. Yeah, they're yeah. just signing you up at whatever the max term is for the state, right? <laughs> yeah. Here in Hawaii, it's 24%. So we get these guys that have a little gravel lot and a little trailer parked on it and no credit check required. And they'll take a sure. car that they bought for $500 and they turn around and they sell it. And as long as you put $500 down, because that's covering their hard costs, yeah. they'll then finance you for a year at 24% on the other two grand, right? If they're selling it to yeah. you at 2,500. So yeah. now not only are they making that extra two grand, it's a roll of the dice because they're financing anybody, but they're also making the 24% on top of it. And they're actually banking on the fact that they're going to be able to repo that car right. and resell it a second time and a third time and a fourth time with no cost into the car. And uh -huh. so it's really this like high risk, high return model. Now, that's one. The second one is you have independent dealers. So independent dealers is basically a car dealership that's not tied to a manufacturer. So they're not a Toyota dealership. They're not a Ford dealership. They're Joe's best cars. Right you know, down on main street or whatever. These guys are essentially hustling, trying to find cars at auction, wholesale cars from other dealers, bring them in, recondition them. Sometimes uh, a lot of these guys don't have service departments. And so they're doing, you know, kind of the eye, the eye test of going, okay, what can people actually see? Well, they can't see how many millimeters the brake pads are at. So we don't need to change those, but they can see the tire tread. So we're going to change the yeah. tires. And so banks know this, banks a lot of the time won't even work with independent dealers. In my mind, I look at like, okay, you got a bank or even manufacturer who's saying, yeah, I'm not willing to do business with this because there isn't any regulation here. There's no accountability. To me as a consumer, I go, well, why would I take that risk if this you know billion dollar company is not willing to? Independent dealer is going to dabble a lot more in just used cars only, little more edgy is how we would say it, right? But they're yeah. more reputable than the buy here, pay here. Then you've got franchise model. So this is the third one. So franchise model, somebody tied to a new car store, they're a Toyota dealer, they're a Volkswagen dealer, a Ford dealer, and they also sell used cars. And uh -huh. a lot of the time they sell used cars other than just their make. Sure. Right? And even within this spectrum, you get guys that are selling just their brand or they're selling like certified pre-owned mm -hmm. or yes. they're just selling the cars that they take in on trade as a way to get rid of those cars. Whereas other dealers, like where we fall into this is our primary focus is pre-owned cars. So we're about 80% used, 20% uh, new. So okay. we're actually acquiring cars on a regular basis, right? We have full-time employees whose job is to scour Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. We have subcontractors on the mainland who live in Portland 
and they just look on, we give them a punch list of what we're looking for. And they just look locally for those cars Interesting. from a consumer, buy it, drop it off at the port for us and ship it over. And then we scour all the auctions basically from Hawaii to Texas is about as far as I'll go. And we're acquiring cars to then resale. But the difference is with a franchise dealer, accountability wise, you have a dealer who has a full service department, trained technicians. They have to right. meet these requirements per the manufacturer. And the manufacturer doesn't want to see that you're getting bad reviews and negative reputation within the community because they know that that's going to affect your new car sales as well. So these franchise dealers are held to such a higher standard that I would right. say their cars are 10 out of 10 times going to be nicer than the independent dealers. So I would say if you're looking for like quality, peace of mind, you want to have, and the other side is the accountability. Because at the end of the day, Use cars. You don't know the history. We always joke and say they're built by people, not by angels. You know, so you don't know if one was built at you know four thirty on a Friday, and, <laughs> sure. You know, maybe has some some bumps and bruises on the inside. When you deal with a franchise dealer, there's more accountability because they have their own service department, so they can go. Well, I had one of my technicians look at it. He overlooked this, or we should have caught this. A lot of times they'll chip in, or at least they'll provide a solution. Whereas normally, I would say. And obviously, there's a lot of variance to this because every dealer can operate differently. But an independent or a buy here, pay here can say, eh, you bought it, not my problem. If you bought this from your neighbor, you wouldn't expect your neighbor to pay for this. So get out of here. So when people are looking for that accountability, that trust level, if I have friends on the mainland that are looking for something, I always try to find what local dealer that's a franchise dealer has what they're looking for, has a good reputation. Back in the day, if you want to get the best deal, I would always recommend guys look up and you could do this remotely is go, okay, in your area, what franchise dealers have the most cars in inventory? Because if they have the most cars in inventory, they're probably operating on a volume model. And so they're not trying to operate on a gross model versus a dealer that has fewer cars, right? Because in the day, it's the same thing. It's like, you've got to keep the lights on, got to make their money. Yep. And so a dealer with more cars operating on volume, he'll give one away, right? He's not going to miss it. Whereas the guy that only gets three of those a month, he knows he only gets three a month, but he knows he's going to run into at least six people that want them. And so he's willing to offend three of them to make the deal on the other three. Nowadays, that's harder to judge just based on inventory levels. You got guys that have 90 cars in stock that are selling 120 cars a month because their turn is just that rapid. So it's a tough thing to judge nowadays, but that used to be one of the go-to's that I would recommend to people is you got a volume dealer. They're not trying to get over on you or nothing. They just want to push another one out, make it easy. Uh Okay. So I'm always buying cars in cash. My worry is if I go onto the lot of a dealership and I find something Mm -hmm. that I like, I always think if I'm paying cash, do they shrug their shoulders and go like, well, we'd much rather make money uh, on you financing this. Are there tendencies to give you a discount if you're financing it? I would say no. And again, this can vary dealer to dealer, but also sure. the the irony is that the knowledge that you have, let's just say 50% of salespeople don't even have that knowledge. They don't even realize that there's money being made on the financing. I see. Right? And so to them, they don't care. All so they know hard. is that when they go tell their boss, oh, he just wants to pay cash and their boss grumbles about it. They're like, oh, I don't want to get any backlash from my boss. Right? So they're all, they might be timid to share that information. But in their mind, they're looking at it as like, oh, this is way simpler because they face the rejection of lenders all day long where a customer comes in and they want to buy and we can't get a bank to say yes. And the salesperson's yeah. discouraged because they just spent two hours with this person. Yeah. So somebody that comes in and has cash, 
Salesperson is like, great. I don't have to get a bank involved. I don't have to get a third party to say yes. It can vary, I think, depending on who you're interacting with. But at the end of the day, like, it's just part of the business. You know, you know, you're going to have a certain percentage of people that pay cash. You're going to have a certain percentage of people that don't. You know, you've got people that are commission incentivized and are going to make decisions. And, and let's be honest, they, they're doing this thousands of times per year. They've got way sure. more experience than you do. You know, we, we get people that come in that I've bought. 50 cars in my life. It's like, I did that last week, man. Like, <laughs> you know, so at the end of the day, like they're going to be better at this than you are. So thinking that you're going to outsmart them and get around them, like more than likely not going to happen. You're going to make it way more complicated and create unnecessary friction with a salesperson that doesn't even know what you're trying to do. Because essentially there's different spots to make money. They can make money on your trade. They can make money on the car you're buying. They can make money on the financing. They can make money on aftermarket products. They right. can make money on parts and accessories, like, you know, gap insurance, extended warranties, all that. If you hone in on being price sensitive on one, they go, yeah, no problem. We'll just make our money over here. I got gotcha. you. Right? So unless you're privy to all of those and an expert in what the best deal is on all of those things, at some point in the transaction, you're probably going to get outsmarted. Otherwise, they're not going to say yes. Brings me to one one more question about the whole process. As a rule of thumb... Unless unless the whole thing is about convenience for you and you just want to get rid of the old car, so you want to trade it in as part of your purchase of the new thing, you should buy a used car from a reputable company, like you say, that's going to stand behind it. But when it comes to selling your car, try to do that individually because you'll make more money for it on the street than you would from a trade-in. What do you say to that? I think it depends on the car. So, okay. And it really, I would say, not necessarily the car, but the price point. So if you've got a car that you're trying to sell for five grand, the dealer is probably not going to be excited about it because the dealer is excited about that is the buy here, pay here, or the independent. Yeah. So you're dealing with the franchise dealer. They're going to end up wholesaling that car, right? You're just creating a to-do list for them. It's not actually yeah. a, an incentivizing transaction on their part. The only caveat there is at a higher price point, this varies state by state. In some states like Hawaii has this, Washington has this, I believe California does as well, where you get a tax credit within the transaction. So if you're trading in a car that's $30,000 trade-in value, you're buying a car that's $50,000, you only pay taxes on the $20,000 difference. You don't pay taxes on the full 50000 of that gotcha. new car. Gotcha. So that is something that can be, you know, depending on your state, you're dealing, you know, California, 10, 11% interest rates. That's something that could be advantageous or at least worth taking into consideration when you're going, okay, I can sell this on my own, go through the hassle for 32 grand, or I can trade into the dealer for 30. But if I'm getting a 10%, I'm actually getting 33 on it. Something worth noting, depending on the state that you're in, uh, if you're yeah. getting a tax credit on a higher dollar trade. In general, though, I'd say, yeah, lower dollar car, set, put it on Craigslist. I, you know, I always tell people, it's like, put the word out to friends, coworkers, because at the end of the day, it's like, you want to buy a car from a reputable dealer, if you're buying something on Craigslist or whatever, it's like you'd rather buy it from somebody that you know, where there's yep. some history there, there's some reput reputability there in terms of like, oh, I know this person, yes. not just for the car's sake, but for the transaction part, right? Like I want to know that this check is going to cash. Yep. <laughs> that makes sense. Anything else come to mind? Like this is one of the secrets of the industry. And if people knew this, they would behave differently. Man, I think it depends on the experience that you want. If you want to be able to take your car to the dealer and get it serviced and you're buying your car from them, you have the opportunity to start that relationship off on the right foot 
or you have the opportunity to really start it off on the wrong foot. And so the guy that comes in guns blazing, hostile, whatever, and he gets, you know, a great deal on the car. Every time he walks into the dealership or the service department, everybody knows who that guy is and everybody's going, right. And so, you know, you kind of create your own future a little bit as opposed to, you know, and I look at it cause I buy my mom a car every three years. I lease her a car. I do it cause I value the convenience. She's in another state. And so I know, okay, I buy, I prepay the maintenance. I get something that's fully under warranty. It's got roadside assistance. So if mom gets a flat tire, she's taken care of. She needs right. oil change. It's taken care of. And there's, right. there's that peace of mind that comes along with it. And so when she gets it from the dealer, they know who she is. It's a pleasant transaction. Cause I want, when she walks into the store that they go, Oh, we're glad that you're here. Right. Not, oh, frick. I saw this guy's on the schedule today. Of course. So I think relational uh, is something that people really, the, the relational aspect of the deal is something that people really underestimate. Um, That's the end of the day, tip. you're dealing with people, you know, That's right. they want to have a pleasant day. They're there to make money. They have to make money, right? You want to be yep. able to service your car there. Obviously they got to be able to keep the lights on. Are there dealers out there that try to take advantage of people? Yes. Just like there's contractors or you know sure. plumbers or whatever in any industry. Yeah. There's a much bigger point to be made here, which is that there are so many believers with a poverty mindset who don't want anybody to make money on any transaction they ever have. So they feel this way about whoever's selling their house. They feel this way about automotive transactions. They, they're out to, to turn the screws on every person they interact with. And uh, mm-hmm. that's not a good disposition for life in general. The, the idea when you walk in should be, I want these people to make a little money off me. I know how it works. I want this all to go well. I don't want to get screwed, but I know that there have to be profits made or they wouldn't have cars in their lot. So let's all just keep this reasonable and friendly and let's make sure this is a win-win. I think that's a really important disposition to simply have as you're beginning the process. Go like, everybody has to make money here. So I'm mm-hmm. going to pay something. I might as well make sure that it's fair, as you say, upfront, tell what your goals are. And, and, and to say, I mean, I've said this to salespeople, I want you to win here. I want you to have a good day. Um, I don't want to be gouged, of course, but I'm going to trust you as we're talking that you're going to do right by me and, and I'm going to happily pay you whatever this transaction's worth. So it's a good point. The only other, you asked the yeah. question in terms of like a, you know, a tip or a secret or something like that. Yeah. The one thing I think that people a lot of times don't realize and has been very, uh, you know, mind shifting for people in some interactions I've had is when they're financing a car and they're financing it, but they're so stuck on a certain price point because in their mind, that'll be a certain payment. And what they don't right. realize is that a majority of the time, credit aside, right? Obviously, your credit's going to determine the rate, but the other big factor that's going to determine the interest rate is going to be the year of the car. And so if you have a, so like right now, if you had a a 2021 versus a 2015, there are scenarios, there's thresholds where you could have a 2021 that, and you know, this math isn't going to be perfect, but let's just say it's a 2021 that is $35,000 and we've got a 2015 that's $25,000. Yep. That 2015, let's just say that even on a average credit person, say somebody with a 680 score, let's say their rate is 8.5%. And let's say that the rate on the 2021 is 
four and a half percent or whatever. At okay. some point, there's a threshold where these payments actually tip and the more expensive car will be less per month. And the other big factor that's going to come into play is going to be the term. So on that 2015, you may only be getting 48 months or 60 months, whereas on the 2021, it's a 72-month loan, which is, I would say, pretty much the standard right now is 72 months. And it's right. a sweet spot of trying to find affordability for people yeah. as well as not overpaying in interest. But at the end of the yeah. day, like it's just a, it's just a factor most people have to deal with. Yes. But a lot of people get stuck thinking, I need to buy a $25,000 car. And what they do then is they start going back in years to find a car that's $25,000, sure. not realizing that they're costing themselves more in monthly cash flow in terms of the payment, as well as in interest. That's Whereas if they had bought the other car that might have a higher principal amount to start, they're actually going to pay less interest over the life of the loan, and they get to have a lower payment that they can stomach a little bit easier. That car probably is still under warranty. That car right. is going to have more longevity because it is newer. So banks are more sensitive to the year of the car than they That's are to the miles on the car. So I always recommend people like put the blinders on a little bit around the price and uh -huh. look for something as new as possible that's still under warranty, especially if you're that person, right? You go through the bicycle example. It's like, yeah, I value the safety and I also value the reliability. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's look at the reliability component and go, okay, something newer that's still under manufacturer warranty or eligible for an extended warranty, like that's going to have a much higher reliability and a, we call it a fixed monthly payment. There's no guesses. There's no surprises that come up in terms of, oh, shoot, I got to get the AC fixed. I got to get right. this repaired. So yeah, I think that's something that sometimes when people are beginning their process, sometimes overlook or don't realize some of those intricacies when they're looking at financing. That's a great thought. That actually I, ends I, up costing them more money. I had never heard of that, that there was a difference in rates based on how new the car was. That's interesting. Ian, let's talk specifically about my vehicle as a template for people. So I'm about to enter into the world of selling a car that I've babied for a few years and I've tried to improve it. And I bought, I specifically bought this car because I knew it would retain value. It's a collector kind of a car. I've spent money on it and I'm now ready to transition into a used car. And so I want a little advice from you, a little practical advice. So for starters, I'm, I'm selling a 1997, it's a 40th anniversary edition of a Toyota Land Cruiser, which I don't have any idea what a dealer would pay for that, but my assumption is that like the collector market would be more interested in that than a dealer. Am I correct? Yeah, I would say that's where you may get into a scenario where an independent dealer um, that specializes in some unique stuff uh -huh. may be a better opportunity for you than your standard Toyota dealer. Right. right? They've got okay. people coming in looking to lease the next, the 2023 Tacoma, not looking for a, uh, you know, 25 year old. Of course. Cool car cool car, right? Don't get me wrong. Cool sure, car, sure. but just not, doesn't look like the rest of their inventory, right? It's kind of That's that right. game. Of, one of these things does not look like the other. That's um, right. If your card yeah. stands out like that, when you're looking to trade it in, you're probably at the wrong spot versus you go to the place that has a lot of what you're trading in. Right. You're going to get the most accurate value. Right. That's, that's helpful. Okay. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to find the specialty places. I know where a couple of those are, where I could list the car, et cetera. 
And then uh, what I want is is an SUV that's going to be along along the same lines. We our family is part of this carpool. We have to shuttle ki- kids long distances all the time. So we have to have, we're looking for an eight passenger vehicle, which means that the second row is going to be bench seats, not captain seats. And we have to, we have to be able to shove three people in the, in the back row. So mm-hmm. before I tell you what I'm thinking, what, what, what comes to your mind as, Oh gosh, if the, if you were my cousin and you were looking for that, I'd send you here. Well, a couple of questions. Are you putting big people in the back seat in that third row? No, little people. And then um, anti-minivan? It's got to be SUV? Let's say yes for the sake of discussion. Okay. And any car seats? I want it to be able to take them, but no. Yeah, yeah. but consistently. It's not going to consistently have a car seat in there? No. Okay. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the factors in my mind, because I've got four kids, and so this is the same issue that I deal with. Um, sure. It's like we got to take somebody to baseball practice. It's like, how do we reorient ourselves to make it <laughs> yes. work? Car seats, one, plays a factor, but also access to that third row. It's like you yes. can have a great third row SUV, but if it's a pain in the butt to get back there, it's like kind of defeats the purpose. Couldn't agree more. I would say if you're putting little people back there, need access. The one that comes to mind, and I actually just helped, a, this is a great example. I just helped a friend with this. Um, I helped him buy it remotely in California. There's a, I call them sweet spots. So every once in a while you can find a car that's got a sweet spot. And if you can find a. Hey, I am interrupting this conversation about used cars to talk about something completely different. It is salient, however, to the Abraham's Wallet discussion because it's about a family business. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Lauren and Amy Collins, years ago started a baking company and they started it because there was a grandmother's cinnamon roll recipe that everyone loved and they started making those at scale and selling them. And it went like gangbusters and they have since expanded into dinner rolls. By the way, people love these things. Let me recommend that you go to rorosebakingcompany.com and you try these wonderful rolls. But secondly, there's there's just fun news because They've had neat things happen to them over the years. One year they were on uh, Oprah's list of her favorite things. So they got into her magazine and they got a sales bump for that. They also have been on Good Morning America before. And guess what? Good Morning America came back to them again. So I just wanted to tell everybody that uh, I'm going to have family on Good Morning America. It's going to be, I think, the date that this comes out. That'll be the next Monday. So I'd love to invite everybody, one, to try Roro's Rolls, and then to see the good people of Roro's. All right, that's it. Back to uh, the discussion on used cars. There's a, I I call them sweet spots. So every once in a while you can find a car that's got a sweet spot. And if you can find a 2018 or 2019 Volkswagen Atlas, Uh this is a fairly large SUV, won some awards for like leg room, things like that. They, it's a Volkswagen, but they only built it for the American market. So it's much more like domestic looking. It sits upright a little bit more and they have this like patented thing with the seat where basically the base of the seat in the second roll, the whole thing pivots up instead of just like collapsing. Right. So it creates a lot more space to get into that third row. 
third row's got a lot more space back there. Still got some trunk space. You can get in a two-wheel drive. You can get in an all-wheel drive. But the reason I say it's a sweet spot is because when Volkswagen came out with it in 2018, they were still recovering from some of the TDI scandal stuff. And they were trying to create a real positive stigma, not only for the brand, but also for a new model. I mean, at the time, they had a really small Tiguan and they had a Touareg, but they didn't have a third row SUV. So when they came out with the Atlas, they did a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty on it, which is unheard of in the automotive industry. Sometimes you get powertrain warranties that go that long. But bumper-to-bumper means like your window doesn't roll down, the sunroof doesn't open, the AC or the heat doesn't blow cold, hot whatever check engine light comes on, like they're taking care of it. Six year bumper to bumper is crazy to begin with. But what happens is you have cars that are, you know, if you're, if you can find a 2018, 2019, it might still be eligible for that based on when it was sold. Cause you could have a 2019 that didn't sell till 2020. So it's still got bumper to bumper warranty till 2026. Holy cow. And the other part is that even if it has expired, right? If somebody's driven the miles off it, you know, History wise, it gives you some certainty around. I know that this car was at least taken care of since right. it's been new. Right. right. If we have two cars side by side and one's been out of warranty for three years and one's still right. under warranty or expires today, it's like, man, I know that every time something broke on this, it got fixed because it was free. Why wouldn't they? Right. Right. Whereas on this car, it's like, eh, what corners did they cut within the last three yes. years? Yes. Were they taking it to Walmart for the oil changes and the guy just dropped the plug, changed the filter, and away you go? versus they took it to the Volkswagen dealer and the guy knows what to look for. And he's like, Hey, you know, you probably got another couple thousand miles left on these struts before we want to replace them or, you know, whatever little details they're finding on there. That's awesome. That is a a weird sweet spot. They did the same thing with the Volkswagen Tiguan, which also comes in a third row. So those 2018, 2019s have that six year bumper to bumper. And I want to say it goes out to 75,000 miles. And so, yeah, they've still, they've depreciated like 2018s and 2019s sure. do but having that warranty on there it's like saves me a lot of peace of mind that's, that's probably a conversation for another for another episode but uh that's great cars cars depreciate based on the financing of the lenders so new car versus used car financing is different cars that become three years old typically because the warranty is expiring the banks aren't willing to lend it's higher risk so the banks aren't lending as much on it. And then a car that's over 100,000 miles typically is when more repairs are done. And so a lot of banks cut off their financing altogether. So we see these three big stair steps in terms of depreciation. And really, it's a reflection of the payments and the interest rates, not necessarily a value of the car. It's three years, 100,000 miles and... New versus used. So if I have a... I'll give you the quick example. So a brand new car, you bought, drive it off the lot tomorrow you decide to trade it in that car has been titled it's now considered a used car if we go to get a loan on it regardless if i'm getting a loan through the manufacturer the oem or i'm getting a loan through your local credit union bank whatever the interest rate for new versus the interest rate for used are going to be a point to three points different we can have two cars at the same principal amount but if this one's three points higher in interest rate that payment's going to be 30 40 bucks higher And so the logic of, okay, well, I got to get the payment lower on this one than on this one because this one's considered used. So now the principal has to go down, right? Now we're just doing algebra going, the principal has to go down to reflect the interest rate. That is the only option I can get. And so that car is depreciating, but really it's a reflection of 
the interest rate that's available on there. And to compare these two cars side by side in payment, I have to have this car be this many dollars less to have the payment be less than this one to get someone to say yes to the used right. one over the new one because they're gotcha. saving 15 bucks a month or 12 bucks a month on the used one versus the new. And somebody goes, yeah, I don't care. It's, it was one day old. That's so, awesome. Same thing happens at three years. Typically, same thing happens at 100,000 miles. So if you were to graph it, you kind of see these little dips in depreciation. So that can be something when you're looking at values as well to consider. Is is this thing in warranty, out of warranty? Is it under or over 100,000 miles? Because dealers know this. So when you're going to trade it in, you trade in a car to me with 90,000 miles. It's completely different than you trade a car to me with 101,000 miles. Fascinating. 101,000 miles, I'm very limited if I can get any banks to even say yes. Fascinating. And the 90,000 mile, I can get basically everybody to say yes. You're just such a font of information. So I grew up 80s kid and, you know, you can trust Ford and maybe Chevy. And I guess Hondas and Toyotas are old enough that they've been sort of, they're trustworthy, I guess. I'm just thinking of my, the way my parents would see these things. My wife, somewhere in college, she bought some old beater Hyundai and had a terrible experience with it. So she's never wants to hear that word spoken again. One of the cars that catches her eye is the um, Kia Telluride. She thinks, oh, that looks really good. She has a horrible perspective on Hyundai and a because of ignorance of not knowing any better, she has this pristine um, vision of Kia because she just thinks it seems new and wonderful to her. Any thoughts on those things? Nobody makes a bad car. Otherwise, they wouldn't still be in business, uh-huh. right? So people get these jaded perceptions of like, oh, these guys make junk and oh, these guys are bulletproof. If that were true, then there'd only be one manufacturer and these other <laughs> guys true. would go out of business. That's right. Um, I think there's a lot of that like history or perception that goes into it. You know, what your dad told you, that kind of thing. Of course. Um, but I would say within the last 15 to 20 years, we've seen a big shift in terms of the manufacturing process and it's affected service departments as well, where service departments are no longer a repair industry. They're a replacement industry. Uh So you come in with your car, it's got an issue. They go onto their laptop. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. Oh, it's this part. Okay. What's it going to cost to order it? How long is it going to take me to take this one out, put the new one in? They're spending very little time turning a wrench. We have massive repair facilities, service departments. We see a transmission or an engine job, I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many times Very per, occasionally. Year, right. per year we touch an engine or a transmission, but we are constantly replacing, you know, nav units and backup cameras and ECUs and uh-huh. throttle valves and, you know, stuff that is electronically controlled. Sure. And so the example I give people is, you know, if you're buying a car that's, let's say, seven or eight years old. Compare the electronics in that to an iPad or a computer you have that's seven or eight years old. Of course. We're talking similar technology. Of that course. That iPad or that computer, it's like you're probably letting your kid play on that thing. Yep. You don't even use it anymore. Yeah. So now you're going to spend how much on this and not insure it? And this is what drives me crazy is when people, you know, because there's stigma out there against extended warranty. And I'm a big fan of extended warranty. I get it on almost everything. Uh-huh. Just because I don't want to be on the hook for these electronics. Like, I'm not going to crack right. this thing open and right. start working on the chips and motherboards in there. I think when you're looking at stuff nowadays, you can throw almost all of the reputation stuff out the window. 
because most I, manufacturers they they don't make their own stuff. They might make some right. of their you know, and and even now you see a lot of cross pollination where they're collaborating on an engine or a transmission, or they're both using us the same like separate entity or same facility even. Yes, and. But if you look at like the electronics and all that, which is the majority of the cost of repairs, and that's really what you're thinking of when you think of what's the risk exposure in terms of repair, reliability, that kind of thing. It's like, we're not talking reliability in the sense that like the whole thing's going to explode, the engine's dead. We're talking reliability yeah. of like, this has been in the shop three times this year because I keep getting a check engine light come on. Right. I don't know why. And neither does anybody right. else. Right. Well, those electronics aren't made by Toyota. They're made right. by somebody else. And the best example of this was a few years back when there was a massive recall for the Takata airbags. I don't know if you remember this. There's a big recall for no, Takata airbags where it's basically like this airbag, when it goes off, could send like metal shards. And it was too close to something and something could pop. When the airbag goes off, it could send metal shards out. Oh, my. You know, kill you. So there's this huge recall, big like stop sale, no sale, and anything that had a Takata airbag. It wasn't just one manufacturer. It was like there were some Dodge products that had it. There were a bunch of Toyota products that had it. There were some Honda products that had it because they're all using the same airbag manufacturer. Uh So if we take that same thought process and we apply it to whatever else that they're putting in the car, you know, this ECU or this head unit, there's probably three different manufacturers that don't originate. You know, one might be domestic, one might be overseas but they're both using the same supplier. And yep. so for us to say, oh, these guys are good and these guys are junk, it's like, uh, I don't know that that logic works anymore. Right. So That's great. Yeah. When it comes to brands, I think, you know, based on what your wife is saying, it's like we would classify her as an appearance buyer where she's going, this <laughs> yeah. one looks really great. I like the look of this, right? Yes. And this is where I always say the most important part of looking into or buying a new car is test driving it. Like, yes. Narrow your choices down to two or three. And go drive them back to back so that you can go, okay, this one feels like this. This one feels like this. I like this. I don't like this. And make your decision based off of that. Because that's what you're going to yep. love every day is how it drives. Not what right. it looks like. Yeah, you're going to get over that in a number of weeks. You won't even see it anymore. To recap, I'm going to sell my specialty car either in person or to a specialty market. And then I'm going to, I might look online at inventories, but I'm going to go personally put my rear end in the driver's seat of some vehicles and try them out before I make any dumb decisions based on some stupid prejudice against some brand or whatever and actually sit in these vehicles. I would look at them white labeled as if they don't even have an emblem on the front. Right. right? Judge them by everything else and make your decision. And once you narrow it down to, you know, one or two, it sounds like you're looking for something pre-owned. Compare that to the new one. And then look at how much am I actually saving new versus used? And what's the repercussion of that in terms of like life of the vehicle? Am I saving six grand to buy one with 60,000 miles that's out of warranty versus I could get a brand new one with zero miles and full warranty and yeah, it's $6,000 more, but I'm going to get a heck of a lot more life out of that, resale value out of that. Because a lot of the time, people don't drive their cars to zero. They drive yeah. them to their trade-in value. Right. So we're not looking at dollars down to zero in terms of evaluating what's this going to cost me for the life of the car. Like, what's yep. it going to cost me from now until I get rid of it? 
well before that magic 100,000 miles. I'll get rid of it before that happens. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think for the Land Rover, you look for some somebody that has similar stuff, right? Because they're yeah. going to be excited when they see you pull in. Um, yes. And then obviously, you know, like you said, your, your eBay, your Craigslist, your Facebook Marketplace, those types of places are going to be a little more work on your end, but probably higher likelihood that you find somebody willing to buy depending on price point, right? Because we always talk about right. casting the biggest net. It's like, how many people are you going to find that have the cash to buy your car versus that need yeah. a loan to buy your car? Yes. And so the dealer component, typically, age of your car kind of rules that out, but typically the dealer component now opens the dealer up to a bigger market than what you have available to you because now True. you're reliant on somebody that has good enough credit to go to their credit union, get a cashier's check, or has the money yep. in the bank to be able to pay you for it. Great. Well... Ian, you're a very helpful guy to know. I appreciate you giving us all of your knowledge and experience, the benefits of those things. Thank you very much. Would you entertain the idea that we could tap into your brain at some point in the future to ask other car questions? Because you're such a you're such a good guy to know. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fun. You know, it's a complicated, messy industry, and I think has a lot of misconceptions. So. I love bringing some clarity to it where I can. Hey, if you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember, no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge. And his grace is planted.